the agony of Gethsemane. That Sabbath morning, we dealt with our first point in this subject, namely the Savior's sorrows in Gethsemane, and the Savior's sorrows in the garden. This morning I want to look at the Savior's <coughs> supplications in the garden. Just by way of introduction, I want just to make mention of where we finished off last Lord's Day morning. Regarding the Savior's supplications in the garden, he came to the entrance of that garden and said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Matthew 26 verse 36. He then took Peter, James and John, his three closest friends, Peter, James and John, and went further into the garden, leaving the others at the entrance. After he revealed to them his feelings of being exceeding sorrowful, we're told he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little farther. <laughs> you look at those words. He went a little farther into the garden to pray. We look at those words in another sense. He certainly went a little farther in his praying. That phrase, as it were, is a commentary of the prayer life of Christ. For no matter, no matter where he prayed, or when he prayed, he always went a little farther, farther than anyone else. On every occasion that he prayed, he went a little farther. He went a little farther in his locations in prayer. You think of the places the Lord Jesus went to to pray. Luke 6 verse 12 He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Luke again tells us Luke 5 verse 16 He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. No one went with him up into the mountain to pray. He climbed that mountain alone. And he prayed in that mountain alone. No one went with him as he withdrew himself into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness alone and there he prayed alone. And here in the garden we're told that he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. And as no one went with him up into the mountain to pray, or no one went with him into the wilderness to pray, 
No one can go with Christ. In the garden, when he went there to pray, no one could go with him because he went a little farther. He went a little farther in his praying. You think also he went a little farther not only in, the, in his locations for prayer, he went a little farther in the length of his praying. We just read there in Luke 6 and verse 12. He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. And he continued all night in prayer and he prayed alone all night. Nobody with him. All night he prayed. Well, in Gethsemane's garden that night no one went as far as he did in prayer. He prayed for an hour, came back to the disciples, they were asleep, told them to watch and pray. He went away again, prayed for another hour, came back to the disciples, they were asleep. He went away a third time, prayed for another hour. He prayed for three hours in Gethsemane that night. He went a little farther because the others in the garden with him didn't pray at all. They fell asleep. And there the Lord agonized in prayer. But nothing could ever be compared to what the Lord did and how the Lord prayed in Gethsemane. We meet with many great prayer warriors in the Bible. You can list them as easily as I can, but none of them, I tell you, none of them prayed as Christ prayed in Gethsemane that night. And so there in the garden, our dear Saviour kneeled down and prayed Luke 22 verse 41 and as he prayed to his heavenly father that night we see first of all his request his request notice that no sooner had he kneeled in prayer that he prayed about something that was evidently very much upon his heart. Luke 22 verse 42 saying Father first of all let's get the connection verse 41 and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying so it's the first thing he prayed about kneeled down and prayed saying Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. There's his request. As I said, must have been very much upon his heart because it was the first thing he prayed about. 
kneeling died saying father what was it that was so much a father's heart was the cup it was the cup father as I be willing remove this cup from me it was the cup that dreaded cup that he knew he must drink if all of his, of his people were to be redeemed believer that you and I were to be saved Christ had to drink what was in that cup that cup that he must put to his lips and drink all of it and when he looked into that cup Mark tells us how he felt how did he feel when he looked into that cup we're told in Mark 14 verse 33 he was sore amazed so there regarding his request and as he looked at that cup we see first of all what he saw he was sore amazed we never read of Christ ever being amazed before indeed it was always the other way right others were amazed at him others were amazed at his ministry and his miracles and his manner of life the people saw him and heard him they were amazed but you never read of Christ being amazed until Gethsemane but now it is Christ's turn to be amazed and it was what he saw in that cup that amazed him for in that cup what did he see what was it amazed to see when he looked into that cup be sore amazed and very heavy pointed out last week what those words mean very heavy they deeply depressed and here it is what was in that cup what amazed the saviour here it is separation and being forsaken of God and afflicted he who was the darling of the father's bosom he who was daily the father's delight he of whom the father testified this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased he who never flinched from doing his father's will and lived always to please him yet when he looked into that cup that night in Gethsemane he saw 
separation from his father. Separation which he had never experienced before. Separation. And if you look into that cup, certain the words of the psalmist would be fulfilled. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word forsaken means abandoned. Get a hold of that. Paul used the same word in 2 Timothy 4. And my first answer, no man stood with me, all forsook me or abandoned me. It's the same word. And here the psalmist says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken or abandoned me? And that's what Christ cried from the cross. Why hast thou abandoned me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That's what he saw. When he looked into that cup, that's what caused him to be sore amazed and very heavy or deeply depressed. That's the cup he must drink when suspended between heaven and earth there on Golgotha's brow. That's the cup he must put to his lips and drink. If you and I, believer, if you and I were to be saved, saved from a lost sinner's hell, Christ must drink that cup. Now the words he must be separated from his father. He must be abandoned by his father. We see that not for one millisecond did our Saviour hesitate or was reluctant to drink that death and the curse were in that cup O Christ t'was full for thee but now has drained the last dark drop tis empty now for me that bitter cup love drank it up thy blessings draft for me what he saw and we notice what he said upon seeing that cup and its contents he prayed verse 42 saying father as I be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done mark Mark and his account renders a little differently. Mark 14 verse 36 
Mark these words. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Notice he used those words, Abba Father, to emphasize the intimate relationship between father and son. If we were to use those words, if a son was to use those words to his father between us, it would be like the son saying, Papa, a sign of the intimate relationship between father and son. But that's what the word Abba means. And here's the dear Saviour. And there in Gethsemane, he cries, Abba, Father. If it be possible, remove this cup from me. Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells us that's how we can address our Heavenly Father. Romans 8, verse 15, Galatians 4, and verse 6. And such was the deep, intimate love Son had for His Father. He appeals to that love. That Father-Son relationship. He appeals to that love. He said, take away this cup from me. Abba Father take away this cup from me but we could use the word reverently it was as if Saviour said Papa take this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thy be done we look again at the words of Mark and he said Abba Father all things are possible unto thee take away this cup from thee the son acknowledged that all things are possible for the father Abba Father all things are possible unto thee Take away this cup from me. But if all for whom Christ died were to be saved, then here was something that was impossible. Here was something that was impossible. Saviour said, I'm a father. I know all things are possible with thee. Take this cup from me. But if you and I were to be saved, believer, here was something that was impossible. It was impossible for that cup to be removed from the lips of Christ. Impossible. 
to be saved from sin, to be saved from hell, to be saved from everlasting punishment, then the dear Savior must drink every dark drop of that cup and we can say praise God he did and each believer here today can say praise God he did it for me he did it for me we can say it is empty now for me that bitter cup love drank it up now blessings draft for me we have his request next we have his resignation yes he prayed father as I be willing remove this cup from thee but then without one moment's hesitation we must notice that without one moment's hesitation he said nevertheless not my will but thine be done and here I see first of all his sensitivity his sensitivity no as I said there was not one moment's hesitation between his request and his resignation resigning himself to the will of the Father there was not one moment's hesitation because Christ was always sensitive about doing his Father's will not wanting to show any sign of reluctance to carry out his father's will no matter what it may be God reveals his will to us believer how do we respond to the will of God when God reveals his will to us how do we respond Do we say, oh, I'll think about it? Or do we put it off to a later time, a more convenient season? Oh, we ought to follow the example of the Savior. All things are possible. Take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. No, hesita no hesitation whatsoever. never was that in the mind of the dear Saviour no sooner was the Father's will made known to the Son than the Son carried out Father's will would you and I do well if we were as sensitive to the will and the mind of God as Christ was just as the Son said in that messianic psalm psalm 40 verse 8 what did the Lord say there and that psalm I delight to do thy will O my God in the words of Christ 
I delight to do thy will. And in Gethsemane, he delighted to do the Father's will, even though it meant drinking that dark, bitter cup dry. As well as saying as him being sensitive, we see also he was selfless. There is nothing selfish in these words spoken by the Lord. His thoughts, his mind, his heart, his prayers were not focused on himself, but upon those for whom he was going to Calvary to die for. That's who he was thinking about. That's who was on his heart and in his mind and in his prayers. And with a perfect selflessness, when he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was, as it were, he was reaching out to the Father's hand. It was as if Christ was reaching out with both hands and saying, Father, give it me. Give it to me, I'll drink it. I'll drink it all. I'll not stop drinking until that cup is dry. The guy has drained the last dark drop Tis empty now for me, that bitter cup, love drank it up, thy <coughs> blessings draft for me. That's a great headman, Ross Cousins. And so, believer, when you think upon what we've already considered, and that would not cause us to fall down at the feet of the Saviour and worship Him and worship Him with all of our heart I don't know what will so in His resignation we have seen His sensitivity His selflessness and they notice his support. Even though he had pleaded with his disciples, as I said, and emphasized this last week, his three closest friends, Matthew, or Peter, John, and Andrew. They were his three closest friends. And he brought them with him further in to the guard. What did he say? He said, watch with me. Watch with me. Pray with me. And yet, the only prayer that was heard in the garden that night no, not the prayer of Peter, James, and John. 
not the prayers of the other eight disciples there was only one prayer heard in the garden that night one that was the prayer of Christ he prayed alone nobody prayed with him there he was alone exceeding sorrowful even unto death there he was alone in that garden sorrowful and very heavy or deeply depressed no one to pray with him and no one to pray for him how very lonely that garden must have been that night for Christ then we read verse 43 there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him you recall after his temptation in the wilderness quoted back there in Matthew 4 <coughs> we're told in verse 11 of Matthew 4 behold angels plural angels came and ministered unto him but here now in the garden he faced something that was greater wider higher deeper than ever he faced in the wilderness and tempted by Satan and what do we read there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him in response to what heaven witnessed that night in Gethsemane's garden we might have thought heaven would have sent a legion of angels just one angel One angel appeared unto him, strengthening him. But sure, what did he say? Isaiah 63, verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. None with me. None with me. Oh, how lonely was Gethsemane's garden that night for the Lord Jesus, the one who commands the very hosts of heaven. And he received strength that night. No, not from the prayers of his disciples, not from the prayers of his closest friends. But they were silent. But he was strengthened by the presence of one angel. We have considered then the Savior's sorrow in the garden, the Savior's supplications in the garden, and finally, the Savior's suffering in the garden. 
the Savior suffering for sin. Did not begin at Calvary, Calvary, but here in Gethsemane. There Jehovah lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast so stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed. He loved me. And after the angel left him, we read verse 44, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Here we see, first of all, his agony. Being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly. It would benefit us greatly if we look at the words being in an agony. It was do us good spiritually if we looked at those words again and again and again and again and looked at them and meditated upon them and being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly. Here we see regarding the Savior's agony, we see, see first of all the uniqueness of his agony. The uniqueness. Because that word agony we have something there which is unique. Why? Because that word agony which is used to describe the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane is not found anywhere else in all of the Bible. It's only found once. In all the 66 books of Scripture it's only found once and it's used to describe Christ. There's the uniqueness of his agony. So here is a word that is never used to describe anyone else's suffering. But it's used of Christ alone. Does that not speak to us of the uniqueness of it? The word agony itself, the word itself means intense emotion intense emotion as I said last week when you look at our text at verse 44 and read anything that is said about the Lord in Gethsemane what is written there is beyond the understanding of any mortal man In many ways we're like those other eight disciples. In many ways we're just standing at the edge of the garden. For how can you and I enter into the agony of Christ? Can be done. 
We can only go as far as the scriptures permit us to go. And how can we explain or how can we enter into the intense emotion of Christ? Then there we see him in the garden on his knees, praying alone, agonizing alone in intense emotion. With intense, intense emotion. There we see him suffering as no man ever, ever, ever suffered. And no man ever, ever experienced the agony that Christ experienced. You know something? Such was the agony. Christ experienced that night it melted his eyes to tears who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication was strong crying and tears Hebrews 5 and verse 7 they offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears with him that was able to save them from death and was heard and not be feared I suppose I could safely say Nobody likes to see a man cry. Nobody likes to see a man cry. But the Savior did that night in Gethsemane. Strong crying. And hot bitter tears flowed down the cheeks of the Savior. word agony speaks of uniqueness not used of anybody else but the word has something else to tell us it's the wonder of God's word how one word can tell you so much how you can read over a word and never give it a second thought But we look again at that word agony. We've already said it means intense emotion and is only used of Christ. But we look at the word agony again. And if it speaks to us of uniqueness, it speaks to us of unity. You say, how does unity fit into this? Well, looking at the word in its original and the history of the word, it was used by the Greeks. Of course, it's a Greek word. It was used by the Greeks to describe their assemblies and their coming together. 
It was used to describe the Greeks coming together in unity. And here we have a picture of people all gathering and coming together to assemble in one place. Again, we get this from the word agony. And what a picture this gives us in this word of something again of what Christ suffered. Christ who had, listen, Christ who had all the sins of his elect assemble on him. Why? For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The Lord Jesus had all the sins of his elect imputed to him. Christ was the assembly point of all the sins of God's people. And they all congregated and they all came together in unity upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So being made sin for us and for all his people our sins were imputed to him. And the Lord Jesus became the biggest sinner who ever lived. Not because of his sins, but because of ours. Every sin of every one of his elect assembled that night in Gethsemane's garden and assembled on God's son and the judgment for all those sins made Christ their meeting place Christ was the meeting place for all the sins of God's elect now do we see now do we see something of what those words mean being in an agony he prayed more earnestly no one ever suffered as Christ did and listen we haven't even got to the cross yet this is just the garden as well as his agony we notice his activity that is being in agony he prayed more earnestly. What mystery there is in those words. What a mystery. He prayed more earnestly. See that's how the Lord always prayed. He always prayed. With earnestness. But here in Gethsemane, he prayed even more earnestly. 
As it were here he goes in the garden, he goes even deeper in prayer and further in prayer than he had ever done so before. And he had ever done before. He prayed more earnestly. Oh, here's something. It's quite wonderful. And quite humbling for us. You take that word earnestly. The word earnestly means a pledge. You make a pledge or a promise. But the word earnestly means a pledge. The same word is used by Paul, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. <coughs> Who have also sealed us and given the earnest, same word, the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God's pledge that we will one day be in heaven. It's God's pledge. The Holy Spirit is God's pledge. He's the earnest of our salvation. The fact that the Holy Ghost abides in us is our guarantee of heaven. We're sure of heaven as if we were already there. It's God's pledge. The Holy Spirit abiding in us is God's pledge that we will one day be with him in glory. And here in the garden, Christ prayed more earnestly. What does that mean? That means that having looked into that dark bitter cup the Saviour pledged that he would drink it up. He pledged he prayed more earnestly In other words, he was pledging to his father, I will, I will drink it up. Wonderful Savior, is he not? Wonderful Savior. Prompt us to say, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I reside, my gracious Redeemer, my Saviour, art thou, if ever I love thee. My Jesus, tis not. Tis not. But there in the garden, he played. Praying more earnestly. And as he prayed, he pledged, I'll drink that cup. For my people. His agony, his activity, 
finally has appearance. Our next we read, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. No one was there to behold that sight. No. All the disciples were asleep. No one was there to see the Savior sweating great drops of blood. So you say, well, how come we have a record of them? The Holy Spirit was there. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Luke he revealed to Luke what happened there in the garden in the darkness. And nobody else saw the Holy Ghost saw. And revealed it to Luke and Luke recorded it. He sweat as it were great drops of blood. Where do we first read about sweat? Genesis 3 verse 19 Sweat came in with sin God told Adam In the sweat of thy face Shalt thou eat bread In the sweat of his brow He would work the land Sweat came in with sin Therefore, when Christ was made sin and a curse for us, he underwent grievous sweat. Think of it this way. Every pore, every pore in his body became a bleeding wound. Every pore in his body became a bleeding wound and his blood stained all of his raiment. For he sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's interesting reading different commentators and what they have to say about that verse 44. even some of them are trying to explain away well that, that's not possible and they go on and on I don't care what they say and how they try to explain it away the book says he sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground and that's good enough for me as far as I'm concerned he sweat blood that night in Gethsemane such was his agony such was the intensity And this all just demonstrates for us his agony there in the garden. And we know, as we read in the verse 47, while he yet spake, behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. kiss of the trail 
a kiss of the devil. Do we not feel in light of what we have seen and what we have heard that we want to kiss him not with the kiss of betrayal but the kiss of love. Do we want to kiss those hands and kiss those feet and kiss those cheeks and thank him loving me and suffering so much on my behalf and what we want to do we want to kiss the saviour not the kiss of betrayal but of love because of his agony Let's bow our heads in prayer. <coughs> oh, our dear Lord, how humbling it is to consider in this portion of Scripture. My humbling Lord it is through the word to stand in Gethsemane's garden and behold our Saviour in prayer. And watch and listen as he prayed there alone. Lord, I pray that would write this word upon our hearts. May we take this word home to our hearts. And oh Lord, may we fall in love with thee afresh. And where there's coldness and lukewarmness in anyone's heart today, cause the fire to burn the fire of love devotion dedication surrender dear Lord be with us as we continue with thee around the table and what preparation we have coming from Gethsemane's garden now to the table of the Lord come Lord and draw near to us for any Lord who must leave bless them grant them traveling mercy return us again to thy house this evening to learn more about our dear loving, loving Saviour 
pray in the Savior's name. Amen.